Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix, The Backstory, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at our industry and what's happening in our newsroom. I'm Christy Totten. Working in journalism can be difficult. As journalists, we're exposed to all kinds of trauma, conflict, and even violence. That can lead to stress, anxiety, burnout, and in some cases, secondary trauma or PTSD. To help address these concerns, the San Diego Union-Tribune, along with its sister paper, the LA Times, is launching a peer support program. The program was developed by clinicians who specialize in working with journalists, and it's a confidential network to provide support to colleagues facing difficult times. Today, I'm joined by editor and publisher Jeff Light, managing editor Laura Sakalo, reporter Kate Morrissey, and our HR manager Radvil Rinke-Vichutnya. Laura, I'll pass it to you. Thank you, Christy. And thank you all for being here today to talk about this uh, important program and initiative. Radville, I wanted to start with you since you've really been the catalyst for getting this program going. I'm interested in what prompted the idea and how did you go about conceptualizing the program and actually bringing it to, to fruition where we are now? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, in 2019, we were contacted by uh, PEN America, an organization that is really focused on the mental uh, well-being of journalists. And so we worked with them for a couple months to try to organize a visit. And so they flew all the way from New York over to San Diego, and we got in a training room and just sort of brought what is the mental health, you know, look like for a journalist and what do they have to encounter on a daily basis and so as I sat back and I listened there was a lot of individuals that spoke up about their experiences and you know what type of harassment they have that goes on behind the scenes right from readers and um and it was mind-blowing right because unless you're in the industry and you are you know very well versed and know the background of this you have no idea so as HR I was pretty surprised and shocked. And I think the next step was, what do we do about this, right? How can we help our people? And so, you know, we had the uh, employee assistance program, right, that is available to everybody. But unfortunately, it doesn't focus so much on journalists and what they experience. It's a very general approach. Um, and a lot of our journalists do utilize that program, but it's not perfect, right? So, you know, we kept sort of moving through the motions of, of what else is there to do. And we took a bunch of different steps, but one of them about a year later or so, I was introduced to um, a woman named Kristen from Reuters. And Reuters just developed this peer support network program that was totally skyrocketing and very beneficial, you know? And so we started talking and, and trying to sort of figure out what does this look like and how can we do this for San Diego Union Tribune. And so several years later, with um, the support from leadership, we launched it. And actually the Los Angeles Times decided to participate with us. So that's kind of where it stemmed from. You mentioned the employee assistance program and you know we actually were fortunate to have um, a lot of options for employees that provide a range of services, including mental health services. What do you see as being different about this program or, or what were you hoping that maybe our staff could 
better fill or better address uh, by having this be a peer support network rather than some of the other mental health options that we already offer for employees? Oh, great question. So, you know, it, it is, there is something about when you have a concern, whether it's personal, right, related to your life or related to work, right? There's something about going to your manager or the other branch, I guess, is HR, right? Sometimes you can go to your coworkers um, and just vent, right? But the big difference here between what EAP offers, which is, again, that general sort of approach, that psychological approach for anybody that might have covered a horrific story or might be experiencing some harassment from the readers or whatnot, is that you can go to your peer who is trained in that skill set to listen, to tell you about the resources that exist for you, and to give you some guidance, right? And most important, to come from a place of understanding and what shoes you're standing in, right? So I think there's some warmth and comfort around that. And the overall beauty of it, I would say, is that this is somebody that completely volunteered their time to be a listener, right? To be a support to you, which is such a beauty of it in its own. Thank you. Yeah, great answer. Jeff, you've been a very enthusiastic supporter and advocate for this program. Why do you think a formalized kind of peer support network it, is important. We kind of think of ourselves as doing this informally a lot um, in the newsroom. And, and why now? What has something changed that makes this more timely or necessary in your estimation? Yeah, first off, I, I, I want to just uh, recognize Radville has been working on this program for years and uh, has really made an investment in the well-being of, of, of uh, our employees. So uh, good for her making this happen. Um, I mean, I think the reason is being a journalist is dangerous, right? It's, it can be physically dangerous. It puts you in contact with dangerous and traumatic uh, events that take a psychological toll. And uh, I, I think because of the nature of the people who are drawn to journalism, that we are particularly vulnerable to being damaged in doing our work because uh, uh, we're mission-driven people. And when you find yourself you know, covering extraordinarily difficult circumstances, there's almost like a, uh, 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 like, like, a, a need for symmetry in the level of distress, right? Like if you're covering horrific circumstances, you almost feel like the least you can do is, uh, is, is, uh, is exhaust yourself and place on yourself like equivalent mental strain of, of what you're seeing around you. You're adjusting to your environment, right? So that makes you extra vulnerable. And then um, I also think like the, the, under stress, the, the zeal we have for our work can also become uh, uh, unhealthy, and, uh, the unhealthy overcommitment to the work that has got all sorts of ramifications that uh, I think we've seen and uh, talked about. So, so to me, that's the need. And I, I'm not sure that 
the circumstances today, truthfully, are any more stressful than they've been at any period in our history for journalists. Um, I think it's an extraordinarily difficult uh, industry and extraordinarily uh, uh, dedicated people. So I think this is what we owe to them. And I also think, you know, from a company point of view, we, we owe this to each other. And we also owe it to the journalism. Like, what is the Union Tribune? It is the creative community of journalists. That, that is what we offer. The, the support uh, and professional standards and practices that we together own, that is the company. And if we are uh, damaged or unhealthy in our work, that's going to show in the kind of journalism we do. So to me, this is all about being good listeners for one another, uh, uh, prioritizing healthy, balanced uh, uh, values. And I think those are all also super important in the work that we do, which, which is so formative for the community. You know, people are seeing their world through our eyes. So we've got this big obligation not only to ourselves, or I guess, first of all, to ourselves, but also to our community to be good stewards of this responsibility. So the mental health of all of us is, is, uh, is really a, a high stakes issue, I think. I think you've kind of touched on this. I'm wondering from your perspective, what you think our responsibilities are in, in this vein as, as newsroom managers and as, as leaders. Yeah, yeah, we've, I mean, you and I, I think, have talked about this. So I think uh, uh, being proactive, creating an environment where we're prioritizing balance, right? Like, like we're in an industry that lionizes overcommitment to the story. Those who have put themselves in the greatest danger, those who have worked the most extraordinary hours. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to diminish uh, the accomplishments of, of those people, but, but I think I've seen that that kind of culture is actually quite damaging and that as managers, we should be assertive in letting people know that what we prioritize is healthy uh, uh, habits, uh, mental health, a balanced approach, and um, because otherwise people are subject to these uh, these uh, these really corrosive forces that can take a terrible toll. And I'm sure all of you who are part of the peer support program know the statistics and uh, about the kind of uh, consequences that uh, that our profession can. Can, can lead to. Yeah, well, and with that, I'd, I'd like to turn to Kate, who um, has volunteered to be a, a peer supporter, apparently also as has volunteered to be part of our mentorship program. So in addition to those extra things, Kate, you've got a very demanding and at times very stressful job yourself. Um, I'm curious as to what drew you to the program, uh, why you wanted to be part of it, and why you wanted to, to train as this um, 
in this way as a peer supporter? Yeah, I, um, I have long been um, someone in our newsroom who's been fairly vocal about um, mental health, my mental health, and, and the things that I've done to try to be um, a healthy human with the, the topic that I cover that can be so heavy and the amount of work on the topic that I cover that can also be so heavy. Um, and I think, you know, it came from a, to, from me, a very sort of natural place of, of wanting to help other folks not go through the level of, of what I went through and, and hoping that they have sort of an easier time landing in finding support and, and finding the resources and the tools to, um, be able to, to do their work in a healthy way and, and recognize when they're, um, not in a healthy space. You know, I, I think back to when I first started covering immigration and, and the first couple of times that I sat down and interviewed, um, you know, a refugee family who had had to flee while their home was being bombed. And, I got home after that interview and I sat on my couch and I didn't really know how to process what I'd just heard. Um, and I think a lot of us who are journalists um, go through that experience, whether it's because we cover um, you know, public safety and we're out there seeing the same things that first responders see or um, you know, quite, quite a variety of, of tragedies and, and human trauma that we hear about every day. Um, and I don't think that we, um, sort of culturally and socially, even as like, you know, a larger society necessarily acknowledge how much those things can stick to you if you don't have the right tools to, to process them and hold them. Um, and so, you know, I, I muddled along as, as best I could uh, for a long time and then um, sort of reached a, a breaking point back in 2018 um, when uh, the, the issue of families being separated at the border was, was in the news every day. And I was working um, very heavily on those stories. And I just, you know, I, I remember reaching a point where I could not bring myself to eat food for about three days. Um, and that was when I finally emailed Radville and asked for the contact information for the employee assistance program um, and began to get some help. Um, you know, and, and ever since then, anytime Radville brings up the employee assistance program in a meeting, I always shoot my hand up and say, yes, I've used it, use it. Like it, it helps, you know, they, they, um, are able to, you know, it's, it's a short-term, uh, thing you get, you know, a set number of sessions for, for what you're experiencing, but they're in the short term, able to give you some tools to help you be a little more stable. Um, and I've also since, um, doing some, some reporting, um, out of the United States, um, particularly, you know, going to Nicaragua, where we had to be extremely careful about not exposing our sources to potentially being, you know, imprisoned or killed or tortured by the regime 
team there or, you know, going to Honduras where we were going into neighborhoods where we probably weren't wanted to tell the story of why people were fleeing those places. Um, you know, I, I ended up seeking out longer term therapy to, to cope with and, and work through some of the different experiences and feelings that I had going, going through that, just thinking about, you know, the, my safety and, and the safety of, of the people I was going to meet and, and the worry over that, um, led to, you know, nightmares and different things that just like, um, were, were a lot to, <laughs> to deal with. And so, um, I try to be very, um, open and transparent about the fact that I've experienced those things. I think the more we're able to talk about and share that, the more we can normalize these kinds of conversations in our industry and in our newsroom so that people feel safer being able to share when they're going through something like that so that they can get resources to learn how to work through it. You know, like I, now that I've, I've been, you know, been going through therapy for several years, I have a lot more tools that I can rely on if something difficult comes up in my work. Um, and I'm in a, in a much healthier place and I'm really grateful that I've, I've been able to, to get to where I am now. Um, and I think, you know, I, I want that for my colleagues. I, I and I want to be, you know, one of the people who, who is there if, if they need somebody to check with, you know, and I've sort of just informally kind of already been that because I've been so vocal and I've had colleagues come to me and say, you know, like, well, if I go to therapy and I, and I talk about something I'm working on, like, is that breaching my journalistic integrity? Am I like a bad journalist for like talking about, you know, my work with a therapist. And I was like, your therapy is confidential, <laughs> you know, like, and, and had to have that conversation with somebody. And it, you know, like, that's how seriously we take our jobs as journalists, you know? Um, and so to be able to be in a position where like, I understand where that person's coming from, you know, and I can talk with them about, you know, what it means to seek help. And, and also, you know, having gone through the process on my own of, of calling EAP and, and going through the sort of rigmarole with insurance to get access to the right therapist for me, um, I can tell them how that experience was, so they're prepared for it, and they can advocate for themselves through that process. So I know that's a long-winded way of saying why. <laughs> I, I think this is so important, and I really wanted to be involved. No, and a, and great insight and and context. And I'm I'm curious. You know, I'm I'm so glad that you were proactive when you sensed that you needed some additional support. Are there things that, looking back to that period, that you think a, a peer kind of network or having a peer supporter might have helped you with? Is that something that you know, in, in hindsight, you wish that you would have had, even though you went through the EAP program. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of having this peer support network is, is just making sure that these conversations are happening among our peers, you know, that when we're at staff meeting and we say, hey, we exist as the peer support network, and these are the kinds of things that we can talk about, you know, that 
I think, and I hope will lead people to check in with themselves and say like, oh, is that something that's going on for me? You know, this, this unidentified unpleasant feeling that I've been carrying, is that what they're talking about? Um, And I, you know, I think if, if I had had that, that sort of external reminder to check in with myself or try to try to identify some of what I was experiencing earlier, I might have um, sought help earlier. Cause I think, I think it's, it's the moment when you can say like, oh, this is the name of the thing that I'm experiencing with my mental health that you really recognize what you need. You know, like when you break your leg, you go to a doctor. And if you break your leg and you don't go to a doctor, like your leg's not necessarily going to be okay. And I think culturally we're still a long ways from fully accepting that it's that way with our mental health as well. Um, and it's harder for us to identify when we've got something going on. But again, by normalizing these conversations and, and being this network in the newsroom that is bringing this conversation around to people so that they can consider it and absorb it, I'm, I'm hopeful that more people will, will get the help they need sooner. So you and I actually have just gone through a couple of days of training um, to, to serve in this network. And I'm interested from your perspective, what are the kinds of concerns that you expect to hear or maybe are already hearing from your colleagues? What are the stressors that seem to be most prevalent these days? What we were told in the training is that a lot of what comes through to the the networks that exist in other organizations are things related to, you know, stress from overwork, maybe burnout, um, and that things like um, trauma are a, a lower percentage of the the conversations. That there's there's a lot more about, um, you know, trying to balance and and not overwork ourselves and overcommit ourselves. And, um, you know, that obviously can eventually lead to burnout, which is a more severe uh, sort of set of symptoms from from the same cause, right? Um, And so, you know, in, in my experience, I think because I in particular have been pretty vocal about the trauma symptoms that I've experienced and the tools and help that I've received for those. I think, you know, that attracts people who have had their own sort of experiences with trauma. So, um, I've, I've had, you know, conversations already with folks who have have gone through their own, own version of that and encouraged them to, you know, talk with someone about it. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that people who are in that place will feel comfortable coming to me about it because it is um, it is something that can be very difficult if you don't have the the tools to to process it. And it really, in my experience, like having a professional to help you understand those tools and understand how to process the things you've experienced is what really helps you get to a better place. Um, and if I can be the you know, the jumping off point for somebody to get there. I think that's the whole, the whole goal. Yeah. And you, you make a a good point about, you know, the ability to relate or maybe to understand 
understand in a different way, a, a shared or similar experience. It's, it's probably a good place to point out that this program is not just for reporters. It's, you know, it's for the entire company and uh, people from various ends of the organization were, were part of the training and, and will be serving as, as peer supporters. So it's not, it's not just reporters, not just kind of journalists on the front line. And I think one of the interesting things that sometimes we lose sight of or overlook is that there are people throughout, especially our newsroom, exposed to all kinds of horrific stories on a daily basis. Uh, they may not be out covering those stories or you know photographing those stories but it it can take a toll in in various ways picture editing or working with data sets or being a copy editor reading you know horrific stories day after day um, can all take a toll and kind of to jeff's point we we shouldn't minimize that ourselves just because we're not on the front line or not dealing with it firsthand. Um, that those are still real effects and and affect us all. Absolutely, and I I think in my personal experience, a great example of that um, because I, I'm not originally from California, and so the first fire season that I was working in our newsroom. I did not know how, to, I wasn't covering the fires, you know, that wasn't my job, but I was exposed to that coverage constantly just by being in the newsroom. And I was so terrified. And, you know, I lived at that time very close to, you know, Balboa Park. I was not anywhere near the fires, but I went home and packed a bag. I was so, you know, just like the, we absorb those things. And um, I think that's the, the, you know, it doesn't matter how you absorb it. What, what matters is recognizing that you have absorbed it. Even, even readers, you know, people who are, are, are reading our newspaper every day can, can experience these things. So just kind of been wrapping up, I'm, I'm interested, both Radville and Kate, from your perspectives, what you think will make this program most successful? How, how will we measure success in the program? Uh, great question, Laura. I think I, I think the support and the ability, you know, first of all, the support from leadership is is number one, right? We need to make sure that leadership cares about um, our team, right? Whether they're in the newsroom or anywhere. Um, and good thing we have a good supporter. But um, on top of that, I think what's gonna make it successful is how proactive our peer supporters is gonna be, right? Will they make this program as part of their conversation, right? On the day-to-day -day basis or in a call that has several individuals there, right? Or, you know, how is it gonna spread and how is it going to become known so that, that people actually have comfort around it, right? I think, with the pandemic, everybody's sitting at home, right, doing their job, or a lot of a lot of us are in in San Diego Union Tribune. So what you know, it was so simple to turn to each other in the moment. Oh my God, you won't believe what this reader just wrote to me, or you won't believe what I just covered. That was there was some comfort around that. Now we're behind the computer screen, or you know, within our our comfort of our home, but we're by ourselves, a lot of us, right? And so I think 
knowing that there is somebody in existence that is skilled and has some kind of training behind it to be that listening ear will bring comfort. And I think, you know, trying to market that throughout the company will be very important. So hopefully, hopefully we'll take on off from here. Well, thank you. And, and thank you all for your commitment to this really important program and initiative. So Christy, back to you. Thank you again to Kate, Radville, Laura, and Jeff for sharing their stories. The Backstory is published every weekend on the San Diego News Fix podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>